The Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde by Robert Louis Stevenson Story of the Door Mr. Utterson, the lawyer, was a man of a rugged countenance that was never lighted by a smile. Cold, scanty, and embarrassed in discourse, backward in sentiment, lean, long, dusty, dreary, and yet somehow lovable. At friendly meetings, and when the wine was to his taste, something eminently human beaconed from his eye, something indeed which never found its way into his talk, but which spoke not only in these silent symbols of the after-dinner face, but more often and loudly in the acts of his life. He was austere with himself, drank gin when he was alone to mortify a taste for vintages, and though he enjoyed the theater, had not crossed the doors of one for twenty years. But had, but he had an approved tolerance for others, sometimes wondering, almost with envy, at the high pressure of spirits involved in their misdeeds, and in any extremity inclined to help rather than to reprove. I incline to Cain's heresy, he used to say quaintly. I let my brother grow, go to the devil in his own way. In this character, it was frequently his fortune to be the last reputable acquaintance and the last good influence in the lives of downgoing men. And to such as these, as so long as they came about his chambers, he never marked a shade of change in his demeanor. No doubt the feat was easy to Mr. Utterson, for he was undemonstrative at, be at the best, and even his friendship seemed to be founded in a similar catholicity of good nature. It is the mark of a modest man to accept his friendly circle ready-made from the hands of opportunity, and that was the lawyer's way. His friends were those of his own blood, or those whom he had known the longest. His affections, like ivy, were the growth of time. They implied no aptness in the object. Hence, no doubt the bond that united him to Mr. Richard Enfield, his distant kinsman, the well-known man about town. It was a nut to crack for many, what these two could see in each other, or what subject they could find in common. It was reported by those who encountered them in their Sunday walks that they said nothing, looked singularly dull, and would hail with obvious relief the appearance of a friend. For all that, the two men put the greatest store by these excursions, counted them the chief jewel of each week, and not only set aside occasions of pleasure, but even resisted the calls of business that they might enjoy them uninterrupted. It chanced on one of these rambles that their way led them down a, by down a by street in a busy quarter of London. The street was small and what is called quiet, but it drove a thriving trade in, on the weekdays. The inhabitants were all doing well, it seemed, and all emulously hoping to do better still, and laying out the surplus of their grains in coquetry, so that the shop fronts stood along with that thoroughfare with an air of invitation, like rows of smiling saleswomen. Even on Sunday, when it veiled its more florid charms and lay comparatively empty of passage, the street shone out in contrast to its dingy neighborhood, like a fire in a forest, and with its freshly painted shutters, well-polished brasses, and general cleanliness and gaiety of note, instantly caught and pleased the eye of the passenger. Two doors from one corner, on the left hand going east, the line was broken by the entry of a court, and just at that point 
a certain sinister block of building thrust forward its gable on the street. It was two stories high, showed no window, nothing but a door on the lower story, and a blind forehead of discolored wall on the upper, and bore in every feature the marks of prolonged and sordid negligence. The door, which was equipped with neither bell nor knocker, was blistered and disdained. Tramps slouched into the recess and struck matches on the panels. Children kept shop upon the steps. The schoolboy had tried his knife on the moldings, and for close on generation, no one had appeared to drive away these random visitors or to repair their ravages. Mr. Enfield and the lawyer were on the other side of the by-street, but when they came abreast of the entry, the former lifted up his cane and pointed. "'Did you ever remark that door?' he asked, and when his companion had replied in the affirmative, "'It is connected in my mind,' added he, "'with a very odd story.' "'Indeed?' said Mr. Utterson, with a slight change of voice. "'And what was that?' "'Well, it was this way,' returned Mr. Enfield. "'I was coming home from some place at the end of the world, "'about three o'clock of a black winter morning, "'and my way lay through a part of town "'where there was literally nothing to be seen but lamps.' Street after street, and all the folks asleep, street after street, all lighted up as if for a procession, and all as empty as a church, till at last I got into that state of mind when a man listens and listens and begins to long for the sight of a policeman. All at once I saw two figures, one a little man who was stumping along eastward at a good walk, and the other a little girl of maybe eight or ten, who was running as hard as she was able down a cross street. Well, sir, the two ran into one another naturally enough at the corner, and then came the horrible part of the thing, for the man trampled calmly over the child's body and left her screaming on the ground. It sounds nothing to hear, but it was hellish to see. It wasn't like a man. It was like some damned juggernaut. I gave a few hello took to my heels, collared my gentleman, and brought him back to where there was already quite a group about the screaming child. He was perfectly cool and made no resistance, but gave me one look so ugly that it brought out the sweat on me like running. The people who had turned out were the girl's own family, and pretty soon the doctor, for whom she had been sent, put in his appearance." Well, the child was not much the worse, more frightened, according to the sawbones, and there you may have supposed would be an end to it. But there was one curious circumstance. I had taken a loathing to my gentleman at first sight, so had the child's family, which was only natural. But the doctor's case was what struck me. He was the usual cut-and-dry apothecary of no particular age and colour, with a strong Edinburgh accent, and about as emotional as a bagpipe. Well, sir, he was like the rest of us. Every time he looked at my prisoner, I saw that sawbones turn sick and white with the desire to kill him. I knew that he that was in his mind, just as he knew what was in mine, and killing being out of the question, we did the next best. We told the man we could and would make such a scandal of this that we would name... We sh I should make his name stink from one end of London to the other. If he had any friends or any credit, we undertook that he should lose them. And all the time, as we were pitching it in red hot, we were keeping the women off him as best we could, for they were as wild as harpies. 
I never saw a circle of such hateful faces, and there was the man in the middle with a kind of black, sneering coolness. Frightened, too, I could see that, but carrying it off, sir, really like Satan. If you choose to make capital out of this accident, he said, I am naturally helpless. No gentleman but wishes to avoid a scene, says he. Name your figure. Well, we screwed him up a hundred pounds for the child's family. He would have clearly liked to stick out, but there was something about the lot of us that meant mischief, and at last he struck. The next thing was to get the money. Where do you think he carried us but to the place with the door? Whipped out a key, went in and presently came back with the matter of ten pounds in gold and a check for the balance on counts, drawn payable to bearer, and signed with a name that I can't mention, though it's one of the points of my story. But it was a name at least very well known and often printed. The figure was stiff, but the signature was good for more than that if it was only genuine. I took the liberty of pointing out to my gentleman that the whole business looked apocryphal, and that a man does not in real life walk into a cellar door at four in the morning and come out with another man's check for close upon a hundred pounds. But he was quite easy in sneering. "'Set your mind at rest,' says he. "'I will stay with you till the bank's open and cash the check myself.' So we all set off, the doctor and the child's father and our friend and myself, and passed the rest of the night in my chambers." and the next day, when we had breakfasted, went in a body to the bank. I gave in the check myself and said I had every reason to believe it was a forgery. Not a bit of it. The check was genuine. Said Mr. Utterson. I see you feel as I do, said Mr. Enfield. Yes, it's a bad story, for my man was a fellow that nobody could have to do with. A really damnable man, and the person that drew the check is the very pink of the properties. "'Celebrated, too, and what makes it worse, one of your fellows, who do what they call good. "'Blackmail, I suppose, an honest man paying through the nose for some of the capers of his youth. "'Blackmail house is what I call that place with the door, in consequence. "'Though even that, you know, is far from explaining all,' he added. "'And the words fell into a vein of musing. "'From this he was recalled by Mr. Utterson, asking rather suddenly,' And you don't know if the drawer of the check lives there? Drawer of the check lives there? A likely place, isn't it? Returned Mr. Enfield. But I happen to have noticed his address. He lives in some square or other. And you never asked about the place with the door? Said Mr. Utterson. No, sir, I had a delicacy, was the reply. I feel very strongly about putting questions. It partakes too much of the style of the Day of Judgment. You start a question, and it's like st a starting a stone. You sit quietly on the top of a hill, and away the stone goes, starting others, and presently some bland old bird, the last you would have thought of, is knocked on the head in his own back garden, and the family have to change their name. No, sir, I make it a rule of mine. The more it looks like Queer Street, the less I ask. A very good rule, too, said the lawyer. But I have studied the place for myself, continued Mr. Enfield. It seems scarcely a house. There is no other door, and nobody goes in or out of that one but once in a great while, the gentleman of my adventure. There are three windows looking on the court on the first floor, none below. The windows are always shut, but they're clean. And then there is a chimney which is generally smoking, so somebody must live there. And yet it's not so sure. 
for the buildings are so packed together that about the court that it's hard to say where one ends and another begins. The pair walked on again for a while in silence. And then, Enfield, said Mr. Utterson, that's a good rule of yours. Yes, I think it is, returned Enfield. But for all that, continued the lawyer, there's one point I want to ask. I want to ask the name of the man who walked over the child. Well, said Mr. Enfield, I can't see what harm it would do. It was a man of the name of Hyde. Hmm, said Mr. Utterson. What sort of a man is he to see? He is not easy to describe. There is something wrong with his appearance, something displeasing, something downright detestable. I never saw a man I so disliked, and yet I scarce know why. He must be deformed somewhere. He gives a strong feeling of deformity, although I couldn't specify the point. He's an extraordinary-looking man, and yet I, can, I really can name nothing out of the way. No, sir, I can't make no hand of it. I can't describe him, and it's not want of memory, for I declare I can see him this moment. Mr. Utterson again walked some way in silence, and obviously under a weight of consideration. "'You're sure he used a key?' he inquired at last. "'My dear sir,' began Enfield, surprised out of himself. "'Yes, I know,' said Utterson. "'I know it must seem strange. The fact is, I, I, if I do not ask you the name of the other party, it is because I know it already. You see, Richard, your tale has gone home.' If you have been inexact at any point, you had better correct it. I think you might have warned me, returned the other with a touch of sullenness, but I have been pedantically exact, as you call it. The fellow had a key, and what's more, he has it still. I saw him use it not a week ago. Mr. Utterson sighed deeply, but never said a word. And the young man presently resumed. Here was another lesson to say nothing, said he. I am ashamed of my long tongue. Let us make a bargain never to refer to this again. With all my heart, said the lawyer, I shake hands on that, Richard. Hello, and welcome to episode 367 of the GeekCast Live podcast. I'm Cartoon Joe, and you may have noticed that something is different this week. That's right, no one else is here. The reason for that is because Craig Discord, attorney at law, decided to chew up our file and spit out only the geekery. So I'm here, reading some stuff because I think it's funny, and uh, then I'll put the geekery at the end. And I hope you enjoy it. I hope you have a good time listening to this. Um... Hope you have a great week. Thanks for joining us. It's always a pleasure. Um, yeah, that's all I got. To the geekery! Diddly, diddly, dip. Ideally. Hey, Rob, Rob, what are you geeking on this week, man? Uh, excellent question. Uh, I just discovered a game that came out, I think it might have been two weeks ago or so, um, early or late, late July. Anyway, it's called The Ascent. And it is a Diablo-like, uh, isometric like dungeon crawler, except it's set in this beautiful cyberpunk world, 
uh, that's incredibly destructive and you run around and fuck shit up and can upgrade your character with all sorts of cybernetics and uh, different kinds of guns and armor and all sorts of stuff. This uh, m The map for it's incredibly well designed. There's like, it really feels like you're in like the bowels of Coruscant or, you know, something like that, a giant sprawling metropolis. Um, the, um, the gameplay is fun. It's a like a two per or a, a two stick shooter, um, but it doesn't feel like you're spinning around like a top and shooting things all the time, uh, which is what a lot of those kind of games uh, usually devolve into. And uh, there's couch co-op, online co-op, and single player play. And the story and quest have been fairly engaging so far. Um, so it's all around really cool. I, um, I'm excited to see, uh, how this game further develops. Um, I'm excited to play more through it and grab some friends to run around and fuck up some shit in this cool cyberpunk setting. So the ascent, uh, Joe, what about you? I am geeking on, as per usual, many things. Nice. Uh, I'm also vamping, stalling a little bit to uh, to get to some of them. Uh, so first of all, I I watched. Ba -da -ba 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 -ba. Uh, hey, <laughs> I watched T-Man. It was great. I really enjoyed it. I'd love to talk about it next week. Dude, maybe. I did too. I also loved it. Uh, yeah. Um. Uh, the main difference to me, if I had to choose between She-Ra and He-Man, is She-Ra was definitely a reboot. He-Man was definitely more of a sequel. Shira was ultimately, I think, made for my daughters. Yes, mm -hmm. and I and I think He Man was made for, um, you, a, me, uh, um, us. well, a, adults, adults who aren't fucking narrow minded ass bags. Yes, um, He Man was made for the Kevin Smith of us. Yes. So I enjoyed it. I thought it was really good. Um, that's all I'm going to say for now until we, we do a deep dive later at some point. That'd be cool. Um, uh, let's do it next week because I would love to actually do a deep dive of both. Um, She-Ra totally she and He-Man. She I'm into it. Um, uh, and then podcasts. I've, I've been listening to a lot of podcasts the last couple of weeks of work. Um, this week's Behind the Bastards was maybe his darkest yet. And I it's found it real fascinating oh and wonderful. Oh and horrible, absolutely horrible. Um, have you have you delved the dungeons yet, Ryan? No, I, no, I have not. I will. Um, I will. So uh, probably here's, will in two days. All I'll tell you about it. Uh, so you remember a while ago there was that opportunity to sponsor the recall of Ted Wheeler, and if you spent enough, yes, you could be a guy won that auction, so he was the guest. Okay. Um. The the and, and, and as the guest, the he got to pick the topic this time. This is right. this is like Robert Evans doesn't usually let this happen, but because yeah, he won, he got to pick it. But Evans still did all the research and whatever. The topic was Josh Duggar. Oh boy, what a uh, a horrible human being. Yes, and it's a two parter. Yeah, they so, really get into it's, it and a lot of other things related to like yeah, his family's uh, cult. Yes, yeah. yeah, the whole quiverful yeah. cult. The yeah, and it's it's fucking... fascinating. It's absolutely fascinating. Um, and then uh, uh, oh, yeah. half half because I just know it'll annoy Nick. 
Uh, <laughs> just kidding, Nick. Love you, buddy. I thank you. Uh, I've been really into uh, the Ack cast by Jamie Loftus. Oh, nice. It's a deep dive into the Kathy comics. Who? Jamie Loftus. She, Jamie Loftus. Uh, she's been on. She's been on Behind the I Bastards as a guest Loftus several times. What's the you know Kathy. The, the you know like, Kathy the, comics. Like, the, like the, the sad woman who says Ack. A A C K. Yeah. Okay. From the Sunday Funnies. Who? Yeah. You never. You never read. You never read the the newspaper comics. In like 1987. Yeah, she's That's been in. Probably. She was. She was in the newspaper comics from like 1974. Okay. Like anyway. In your time. Anyway, uh, Jamie Lopp has decided to do an an eight episode miniseries diving into the context of like like why it's such a big deal that this comic existed, and how important it was that the uh, the author was right. She was like the only female uh, comics writer. Uh, in the Sunday newspaper for like decades. Um, so that was a big deal. And she does like the history. She does a little bit of the history of like newspaper comics and the history of comic books. And it's just, it's fascinating. It's abs- It's really, really interesting to me per- particularly. I, I feel like it was made for me as far as podcasts go. Um, and I've, I've really been enjoying it. I'm five episodes, five of eight have been released. So I've listened to all of them. Um, if you just need some light listening that's like interesting and covers like topics ranging from you know racism, f- feminism, Sunday comics, uh, if you're interested in sort of like the the boomer versus millennial culture war thing, that's touched on briefly. If you're interested in uh, sort of the the arc of women in the workplace over the course of the last century it kind of covers all of it and it's really interesting. Um, and especially if you like the Kathy comics, uh, I enjoyed them. They, it's, I, I like, I liked them. I also read a lot of Marmaduke, a lot of boondocks, a lot of family circus, all that shit. So, um, it's great. I really enjoy it. It's, it's short each episode's like half an hour. So very digestible, very easy to listen to. Um, and I've had, uh, I've had a lot of time, a lot of fun listening to it. So ACK cast, is the other thing. All right, all right. Yeah. Uh, Nick, what are you geeking on this week? Uh, I'm geeking on um, um, retro video game action, because that's what the only thing I can really remember, which is from the last hour. Uh, so that was uh, that was good. We had a strong, busy work day and celebrated with a couple beverages and this tavern where I whoop TJ's ass at Mario Kart and Tekken and various other uh, 90s games on arcade. Which was delightful. Very nice. Nice. That is all. Brian. Dazzle me. Oh, man. Um, I ate my way through Austin, Texas. I'll tell you. Uh, nice. It is... Uh, I thought you were happily married. If you... <laughs> If you're a foodie, uh, get your ass here, man. It is everything you want, all combinations. I haven't seen a chain restaurant anywhere. Um, cool. It yeah, and everything is. I mean, what do you want? You want a you want Tex-Mex? Do you want authentic Mexican? Do you want barbecue? Do you want a fucking Reuben? I mean, everything is 
here and awesome. The bars are great. I found probably my favorite beer ever. It's called a Montucky Cold Snack. Um, <laughs> oh, that's where you what? got it. A Montucky Cold Snack. Love it. That is what a great a lot. I the love the name the, of that. The can is sky blue. There's a rainbow and a Pegasus on it. Hell and yeah. it's it's baller. The the marketing, the name, excellent. The taste of the it's it's um piss. It's the worst beer you've ever drank in your life. Like, love it. It's not even aggressively from, average. Like like worse than Pabst or Coors? Um or like on par. It's the worst beer you've ever drank. That's that's, that's pretty impressive because I've had statement. some really wow. bad beers. It's the worst beer you've ever drank, but you don't care because you're drinking a Montucky cold snack, and it's got is a it, rainbow and a Pegasus. Is part of what makes it bad the fact that it's way overpriced for what you're getting? <laughs> Probably. Okay, I just I'm I'm just I'm trying to imagine the worst beer I've ever had is probably a Keystone Light. A uh, Keystone Light, a uh, Keystone Light is better. Okay. I don't. I feel like there are some hop, uh, like uh, hemp beers that I have tried that taste straight up like bad, like dirty fermented bong water. So I don't have. I, a, I don't have a, a doubt. Really. You're really hyping it up by saying this is just the worst fucking beer ever. Like I've, I've had, I've had beer, beer. I've had beer that doesn't taste good, but that doesn't make it yeah. the worst beer I've ever had. Yeah, it's yeah, exactly. It's the worst beer you've ever drank. I, I, I don't. I, I need it. Can you can you yeah, bring some of it back for us to if try? I, here's the deal. I back. was I was told I could find them in like any liquor store. I haven't found them anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> That's so, exactly right. So if, oh, if I if, if I can find some, I will buy a sixer. I'll put it in my carry out. Excellent. I Perfect. will also look for it, and if I can find it, I'll bring it to Pennsylvania. Awesome. So yeah, I'm just I'm geeking on a uh, Montucky cold snacks. Oh, Love it. and I and I and I am I finished Rhythm of War, book four of the Stormlight Archive. I am all caught up. I'm ready for book five, which is supposedly nice. coming out beginning of next year. Can't wait. Very nice. nice. And just like all the other books, it's um, 64 hours of um, exposition and buildup, and then five hours of some of the best fucking book you've ever read. Wow. <laughs> so it's all, it's all foreplay. Every single yep. book, every single book is 15 sixteenths buildup, and then one sixteenth just unbelievably awesome Fist pumping in the car, good fucking book. All right. Delicious. Delicious. Well, if you liked what you heard. Which you didn't. Uh, I don't know. Give us a five-star review. Tell us. Uh, don't give us the five stars. Just, just fucking do it. But tell us what you hated about that. And if you want to tell us what other things you hate, you can find us on Twitter or Facebook. All you have to do is search GeekCast Live. Or you can go to the website that I made at violentpress.com and check out our other podcast episodes and shit. Alternatively, anywhere you can find us, whether it's in the reviews or on any of our social media, if you know where to find Montucky Cold Snack, 
Tell us. Yeah. Put that in the fucking comments. Another pitch. Um, smoke it. If you want us to care about what you think, go to patreon.com slash geekcast live and give us, give us some money for us to care about what you to think. Yeah. Also to pay for my stroke treatment. Apparently <laughs> I really lost control of my tongue there. <laughs> uh, if you want a picture of a uh, skull on a shirt that looks vaguely like if Rob were dead, mm-hmm. go to uh, gcl.threadless.com. Buy yourself dot threadless.com does everything GCL you touch turn to shit dot threadless.com get yourself a shit my shirt at gcl dot threadless.com hey and uh take care of your mental health thank you Simone Biles for being cool yeah yeah proud of you this is our grandparents hi Cheers. Hey, everybody. As always, we want to give a special shout out and extra thanks to all of our Patreon supporters, backers, friends, family, the people that prop up this monster. Uh, you know who you are, but we want to give you a shout out anyway. Our boy, Sam Ulstercaster, uh, Popcap Williams, Danger Johnson, Dave the Fish, a man fans. My man Rondo, Brandon Rust, Kelly Shuttlewood, uh, the Poly Nerds, Lada Bartova, Mungo Jerry, the K-Man, Jesse G. Letourno, all of our friends, Dave Chappelle, not that Dave Chappelle, 1P, 1L, uh, Blaster Man Rodriguez, Three Finger Emily, um, who else we got? Somebody said, well, yeah, old Blimpy, Clamperman. Coming in hot, hot route. Thanks to all you guys and more. We appreciate it. Uh, we couldn't do this uh, C-graded product without you. Thanks so much. Grab Peppy G. Snarkle flap. And the hoozy.